Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. How do you teach difficult Bible stories to kids? Well, we're going to talk with an author today who does that, who uh, addresses uh, some stories in God's Word, the text of God's Word in a unique way. Thanks for joining us today. I want to say thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting this program. Find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Joining me by phone today, Jonathan Scotty, a, uh, a self-identified procrastinator, pardon center, and freelance editor and writer. Uh, he's written a, a number of books with Concordia Publishing House, including the uh, Icky, Sticky, Hairy, Scary Bible Stories, and a number of arch books as well, My Devotions, Portals of Prayer. Jonathan, welcome to Faith and Family. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you as our guest today. Jonathan, tell me a little bit about uh, your your childhood and reading Bible stories and uh, reading or reading God's Word and uh, this this creative mind that God has given you. What's led up to this uh, this creative skill that God has given you? Sure, sure. Well, I'm, you know, Bible stories and really all stories were a really big part of my childhood. I come from a family of teachers. Both my parents have been teachers, many of my uncles and aunts and cousins and all that, so it kind of runs in our blood to um, love books. Uh, so I was surrounded by books as a child. Um, I grew up, in, grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas, in an LCMS church, so I hear the Bible stories at Sunday school, went to a Christian school um, for my elementary years, and would hear them again there. So it's kind of the, the whole pattern of repetition of um, story upon story upon story that, you know, really first got me to, you know, love stories in general, but especially love the, love the true stories in God's Word. Um, from there, growing up with those, uh, I went to Concordia Seward. I had a, a short teaching career afterwards before I really discovered my passion for writing and editing spent a number of years working at Concordia Publishing House as a proofreader and copy editor. And for the last eight years, um, God has blessed me to work at home as a freelance editor and a writer and daddy to my girls a couple days a week when they're not in school. And it's been a really, it's been a really nice journey. When when you started, let's let's take a look at, at one of these pieces: "Icky, Sticky, Hairy, Scary Bible Stories." Where did those uh, the, those ideas begin for you as you were looking at the text? How did you uh, begin choosing the text and uh, then go about writing about it? Sure, um, that's a "Icky, Sticky, Hairy, Scary Bible Stories" this is a book CPH put out about five years ago, and it's a it's a book for I'd say especially sweet spot of kids second through fourth grade, a little younger, a little older sometimes, too. And it's a book of uh, short one- to two-page Bible poems retelling some of the icky, sticky, hairy-scary Bible stories. Um, so each of those is, I was really reading a lot of the arch books at the time and thinking about some of the ideas for things that could be in arch books. And I was talking with a friend and a fellow author and illustrator, and we were thinking, it's a shame there's some of those stories that there's really not enough material or the focus isn't as fully gospel-centric in this little bitty account as it could be to really justify ever being a standalone arch book kind of story, but perhaps there's a place for those to put those together as a collection to a book for kids 
to get some of the stuff that we know kids are into. You know, they they love the gross stories and the stuff that's a little off or that's a little bit smelly. And so a lot of these, it was kind of a process of just kind of picking out what are the stories in the Bible that have a little bit of an element of something <laughs> that's, uh, you know, a little scary or a little ap- kid appealing. You know, what would what would the inner, you know, fourth grade boy in me really like to read about? Um, and so from there, you know, what does the biblical text, you know, support us doing? Because I don't want to do a book just for the sake of grossing kids out. I want to do it for the sake of, you know, letting them see, you know, the Bible is a really interesting book, and to get them back into its pages. And so, there, yeah, the, the, the Bible, the God's Word, is is all about a, a variety of aspects of life, and uh, you found some of the icky, sticky, hairy, scary stuff. Right, right. <laughs> that uh, particularly, it seems like, kids and and quite often boys really uh, find interesting and that uh, you write it in write these poems in such a way that uh, engages them that uh, they would be encouraged to dig into God's word more yeah I hope so and you know that book in particular I think also works a pretty good function as sort of an, an introduction for parents or teachers to use you know just to kind of perk the kids' interest in the story before you really dig in deeper to what's going on in, in the broader context. Why is, so, why is it so important as a, as a parent, as an educator, as a writer, why is it so important to teach children the, the God's Word, this, this text of God's Word? God's Word is it's central for you know, everything in our lives. It's central for kids to know you know, with this type of story especially, to it's easy to forget for us to truly see the Savior as the Savior unless we can see what he's saving us from. And that's something, you know, in our world, it's easier to see in some of these messed up stories. And, in, in you know, some of the difficult Bible stories, you know, kids have no choice but to see some of the terrible choices people have made and the terrible acts they've done and even you know a little bit as appropriate for the child you know some some death and that's kind of a fitting because you know we need to see our sin as the sickening frightening mess it is and the punishment for our sin is you know nothing short of soul shattering um you know and when we see all that we also see even in the worst times and the worst accounts in scripture and in our lives that god is still working good in all things for his people, because, you know, the God who can help people when they're stuck in the muck of their sin in an unsanitized world is a God who will never abandon us to our fate. You know, that he won't say we're too dirty or too weird or too cowardly for him to bother with us. You know, it's the God who sends his son to die in a horrifying, ugly way so that we can have eternal life with him so that we can rise again, so that we can always have a Savior who loves us and will care for us. And kids go through so many awful things in their lives. Even kids with a wonderful childhood have terrible things that happen, and that's the God they need, you know, the God who's going to be there for them on the bad days. How do you approach the text before you write for children, how do you how do you look at the text? What do you do to prepare your for your writing? Uh, I do a lot of I do a lot of looking at con, context. 
I once I know what the particular account is going to be, I start looking broader at you know where else is this uh, person in the Bible? I, I say character sometimes, but it's you know real life people. Where else does this person appear in Scripture? What else is happening to them or to the group of people before and after the event that's going on uh, specifically? You know, how does this story fit into God's plan for our salvation, um, either for the promise of the Savior or for the fulfillment of that promise? Um, you know, look at some of the, depending on what I'm writing and the level it's for, maybe some of the history or geography um, of the area, and spend a lot of time just kind of looking really closely at the text, you know, slowing down a little bit to make sure not to miss any details. Um, of course, to use lots and lots of um, resources from people who are far wiser than I am um, in study notes and commentaries and, you know, the Internet um, with a little bit of discretion. And, you know, anything else, anything else <laughs> that I, I can get wisdom from. You know, there's so many places to go, and I know so very little. You take a very humble approach to your writing. Why do you think that is um, that's an important characteristic of of writing, especially writing for children? I, I think it's pretty much essential. Um, if children think that the people who are teaching them for children need to trust the adults in their lives, mm -hmm. and they need to know they're there for them and care for them and have many of the answers to help them along the way. But if they think that the people who are teaching them are infallible, their world will be shaken apart the day that they see failure and mistakes from that person. And it's important for kids to see that, you know, the grown-ups in their lives, and I view this when I'm writing books for them, you know, can make mistakes and are going to make mistakes. You know, even in the the most well put together, you know, book by a human, there's mistakes in it. And, you know, I want kids to know that we're going to mess up. God's still going to forgive all of us. And he's still going to work through us. I mean, the I've heard many, you know, wise and wonderful pastors over the years, but you know, even the best even the best pastor says things that are easy to interpret, that could be interpreted another way. And, you know, they're aware of that. It's a scary, scary proposition, putting your words out there before people. I'm fortunate enough that I do it in writing where I can go back and reread and revise and have other people go back and reread and revise for me. Um, but it's, it's a really great opportunity. How has being a parent changed your approach to uh, to writing and to to teaching God's word? How have the have what are some stories from life as a parent that you think have changed your approach to writing? I sure think about I sure think about discipline a lot more and the balance hmm. between being a kind disciplinarian. Um, and being a harsh disciplinarian, um, how to show how to show love, even when your child isn't acting very loving, um, how to know the difference between when 
your tone needs to get a little more severe for your child to to pay attention to respect what's happening and what's going on that it's it's not just a matter of you know liking and you know with god it's not just do we like god is he our buddy it's do we fear love and trust in him um and that, that's something as a parent that you know I, I think many of us most of us struggle with is to find that just just right balance between you know our own pride and our own temperament and what our children really need from us do you uh, do you try out your your new material on the on the kids at home? Uh, depending on what I'm writing, some <laughs> some things some things I do. Um, my children are still of an age where, in general, they're either going to be a little bored by it and not really say much, or they're going to be overly enthusiastic about how great it is. Um, my wife at times has tried some out on her her kids at school, and of course my. My most recent book from CPH is a not-so-nice Bible stories, Gory Deaths, which is aimed a little bit older for the teen, tween crowd. So that I, I, I can only say little bits and pieces to them from that. What's your encouragement to parents as they look at these, uh, they look at God's Word and they, they see some texts that are, that are hard to teach? What's your encouragement for parents or for teachers? Um, I'd say don't be afraid of what the story says about God. Um, Sometimes we we come in with our own concerns that God's not going to represent himself well enough. And, you know, as long as you're thinking about with the difficult stuff, what what you know about God from the rest of Scripture... Don't be afraid of a, a little paradox. Don't be, af- you know, know that God can hate and punish sin and even hate, you know, the Scripture thinks, speaks of God hating sinners, but we know he loves sinners too. You know, he loves us sinful humans and sent his son for us while we were still sinners. And, you know, part of why he hates sin so much is because he loves us, because he sees how it destroys our bodies and souls. And, you know, he's not going to allow that to sin to reign uncontrolled, because that wouldn't be a loving God. So, you know, God chose how he wants to be presented, and, you know, if you let Scripture interpret Scripture, you're going to be okay. Um, there are some questions when you're teaching you're just not going to have a solid answer to. You know, you're going to do your best beforehand and your best afterwards to find those answers for your kids and yourself, but if you don't, there there's some things God does not wish for us to know or have a solid answer, you can let your kids know that, you know, kind of like we were talking about before. Um, we point them instead back to what we know for certain and what the bedrock of faith is, you know, in Christ's atoning work that cannot be eroded, and that while we're not infallible, he, he is. And, you know, God doesn't expect us to have all the answers. What matters is knowing who saved us from sin, death, and the devil, and how he gives us faith to believe it, because his means of grace and his word and sacraments are 100% reliable, even if they're often fully beyond our comprehension. And I guess last, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of thought to teach your kids, but God will support you as you do it, and even when you can't find the right words or have a difficult time, 
God's still working through you to speak his word effectively to the children in your life, and he's going to prosper it in their hearts and their lives. You mentioned earlier that uh, when you approach Scripture, understand that Scripture interprets Scripture. How important is this uh, to consider as you're sitting down to write your books or uh, preparing materials for families to use for, you know, for children and families to use for devotions and prayer time? Oh, I mean, it's it's pivotal for everything. I mean, it's something I often would think about when, when I do work on my devotions, um, but especially with this, um, the not-so-nice Bible stories, Gory Death's book, you know, I, I was afraid to, of it, writing it at first. It's such a such a dark topic, and there's so many stories that seem to have no relevance on the surface and that seem to just be all law and punishment. And, you know, again, kind of comes back with context that, you know, as you let Scripture tell us more about itself and, you know, let, let God tell us about God, which basically mm. what saying Scripture interprets Scripture is, you know, when you let God tell us about God and you take what you know for sure about God and apply it back into your reading of the other stories in Scripture, they become a lot more clear. You can see, okay, you know, in this, in this account, it's not just about so-and-so evil king being punished. It's about God saving these other people at this time who are faithful to him and have asked for help, or frankly, often people who were faithless to him but have still sought his help. And I find that really, you know, comforting and kind of as an author empowering to know, you know, I don't have to try to figure this out of nowhere. You know, God's already, God's already put direction in there for me, and the direction is always pointing forward and always pointing to his son. So the... the really the 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 point of books whether they're uh gory deaths or icky sticky hairy scary bible stories or or arch books that 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 rhyme uh whatever you're writing the 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 essence of what you're you're getting at here is who god is who we are before him and what he has done for us uh the truth of god's word letting god speak uh, through his word and uh you know and looking at what god is saying through his word sometimes with a uh, a creative approach that uh that might tap into a child's creative side or interests and things that are icky and sticky and hairy and scary but uh but the the real point here is not to merely be entertaining but to to really dig into what god's word is saying yeah i mean when you're when you're writing about scripture and you know, succeed in the goal of entertaining and enticing the readers, but you don't you don't show them God. You don't let them see what's happening in His Word and get them more interested in going back into it. Then you've utterly failed. And you know, I think if you can, at the end of the day, if you can have you know your students or your children in the habit of asking you know where is god at work in this story for his people and how does it point us to jesus you know that's when you that's when you succeeded because jesus is always there sometimes it's harder to spot than others in some of these but he's always there what are some ideas for uh for parents teaching some of these hard texts some of these difficult bible stories 
Um, what would you uh, have to offer them or suggestions for parents as they sit down and try to write these or, or to uh, to teach these texts with their children, whether it be at home? Uh, any any tips or any books or resources that you'd like to point us to? Um, you know, some of some of the old standards, the the Lutheran Study Bible, the um, footnotes in there are immensely helpful to me as I go through um, the. Lutheran Bible Companion, Volumes 1 and 2, were put out fairly recently by Concordian. That's also a nice nice wealth of resources for giving some of the uh, context for what's going on in history at the time. Um, You know, it's it's good to always go back and read your, you know, Book of Concord and read through your Bible. Um, As much as it's mostly filled with, you know, doctrinal statements in that, there's links to accounts that can shed more light on that for you, and also just help you as you're doing your interpretation. Um, one thing I found really helpful in my writing um, is using the popular commentary of the Bible by uh, Paul Kretzmann, which now is available free online. So if you know you don't have a bunch of theology books and Concordia commentaries sitting around your house, um, that's a great resource, too, and that's that's it, uh, www.kretzman, K-R-E-T-Z-M-A-N-N, project.org. Um, for, you know, tips for what you do, you know, pray mm. before, during, and after. Pray with <laughs> the students. Pray with your kids. Don't try to prove anything or show off. You don't have to, you don't have to be the wisest person in the room. You know, you do your, you do your best with what you have and you try to supplement it as best you can, um, and ask lots of questions and lots of different types of questions. You know, if kids stare at you blankly with one, try another, and work to keep them work to keep them engaged with you. Um, one thing I, you know, sometimes do, um, if a, you know, if I can't get a hard answer to a hard, serious question, and you know, I might throw out something just a little silly to loosen them up. So, like. We'll be talking about something to deal with Samson, and you know maybe I'll stop and say, okay, you know what sport do you think Samson would have played if he was around today? <laughs> Usually, you'll get a giggle out of him and an answer to maybe a couple, you'll have a brief little debate, which you can you know stop when you need to, keep it short, and then you move back to your core focus, and they're going to be a lot more willing to engage because they see, okay, he's not just here to try to beat us over the head with this. He really cares about us. You know, when you're teaching Bible stories. Kids need to know that those Bible stories are for them and that you're there teaching it to them for them, that you're not just doing it for your sake. And, you know, I think that goes an awful long way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for being our guest today, sharing with us uh, about your writing and also teaching uh, children these difficult texts uh, from the Bible. Uh, we'll point listeners, our listeners, to your website as well. Follow you and uh, the work that you're doing, the writing that you're doing, jonathanscotty.com. Uh, we'll provide a link to that because uh, spelling Scotty is is kind of unique. Jonathan, S-C-H-K-A-D-E.com. Thanks so much for being our guest today and uh, talking with us about uh, teaching difficult Bible stories to children. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And, and to make it easier for people, you can get to the same place with www.ickystickybible.com. Oh, even better, ickystickybible.com. Yeah. Easier to spell. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jonathan. Have a wonderful day.
Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee, with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. India's Supreme Court recently announced mass sterilizations of the nation's poor women and men must end. This program was actually part of the national health policy. The court's decision was long overdue. Mass sterilizations of the poor have killed hundreds of women. There have been documented cases of physicians using assembly line practices without wearing gloves and with no running water. In another case, they were using rusty equipment. This actually sounds like America's abortion industry with similar documented atrocities. Both brutalities are sanctioned by the government and are motivated by the eugenics philosophy that must be ended. Elitists in both countries have been using inhumane tools of death to control the populations of poor and minorities. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss a glaring omission in a recent New York Times story about the importance of Jerusalem to Christians with Terry Mattingly. On This Week in Pop American Christianity, we'll talk with Chris Rosebro about twisting the storm stories of Scripture, and we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Keith and Kristen Getty, modern hymn writers known for In Christ Alone and recipients of three Dove Award nominations, will present an unforgettable night of music with their concert, Facing a Task Unfinished, on Saturday, October 15th at 7 p.m. at St. John's Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. The concert will feature favorite Getty hymns, including In Christ Alone, Living Waters, and The Lord is My Salvation. Find more information and purchase tickets at sjlcarnold.org. Your retirement assets may make the best gift to Worldwide KFUO. Gifts from IRA or 401k funds will not be diminished by taxes. In fact, leaving these funds to your children may result in giving them less than half the funds you worked a lifetime to build. Call Mary at 314-996-1518 if you have questions about retirement plan gifting. We'll send a representative out to explain why a legacy of giving may benefit you as well as Worldwide KFUO. This is Jedi John Lekomsky and Jedi Matt Clark. Bring your droids for 30 minutes of intensive Bible study and Jedi training on Wrestling with the Basics. Saturday mornings at 9.05 on KFUO AM 850. Or on demand at KFUOAM.org. May the Force be with you. And also with you. Saturday mornings at 9 on KFUO, the messenger of good news. 
Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Joining me by phone, Brenda Trunkhill. She is a former early childhood educator and current editor for Concordia Publishing House. Brenda, welcome to Faith and Family. Nice to be here today. Thank you, Andy. Glad to have you with us and look forward to talking about uh, about celebrating baptismal birthdays. So let's uh, first let's talk about your work with Concordia Publishing House and uh, your your work as an educator as well. Sure. Well, I, I feel blessed. I uh, I am a, was a Lutheran school teacher. Worked with early childhood, um, with preschool, and then I taught second grade, and then I was able to bring that experience with me to CPH as an editor. And, and I'm a, officially a curriculum editor, so, but that pretty much means I do a little bit of everything. We do, you know, VBS, Sunday school, day school. Uh, I mean, right now I'm working on a, a musical about the Reformation, oh, about Martin Luther. So a little bit of everything. It's, it is fun. Something different every day. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the life of... Uh... The life of a Christian, you know, we we talk about baptism really being that that uh, the beginning for for many of us, right? Let's talk about baptism and uh, and children and and how you 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 teach them about baptism. What uh, what are some ways that you've gone about teaching about baptism as a as an educator? Well, I one of the things, you know, certainly we talk about it, and it has has to be a part of our curriculum. Um, but I think it's really just like you said, it's our, it's our daily walk. Um, it's who we are as a Christian and our faith. Uh, and I think I like our new catechism is, is going to talk about a baptism embraces our entire lives as believers and it sets the rhythm for our daily lives as Christians. So it's, it's really how we walk through the day as a Christian, and you start the morning with Luther's morning prayer, and you remember that you are marked as a child of God, and you make that sign of the cross upon your upon your chest. It, and that's in the classroom or even at home, how you start your day in, in prayer and worship uh, with, with young children. And, and then as you go throughout the day and talk about that daily battle with with sin with that old Adam and and how the Holy Spirit is at work in your life um, and, and then you close the day in prayer um, it, I was just reminded I went to a, a funeral the other day and it was very sweet they they used the hymn now the light has gone away mm. and it brought me back to what I I forgot I had used that with my own children when they were younger and just that reminder every day, you know, we, we sing, Jesus, Savior, wash away all that has been wrong today. Help me every day to be good and gentle, more like thee. And and that's kind of our walk as a saint and sinner every day. 
So we certainly remember our baptism every day uh, when mm-hmm. we pray, when we sing. Uh, that's certainly something we do every day. What value is there in remembering and celebrating a baptismal birthday? The you know commemorating that day on which we were baptized. Right. Well, I think it shows just the significance of of baptism when it gets its own special day. Children are used to those special holidays throughout the year and, of course, their own birthday, how special that is. But when we make a big deal about their rebirth day, Hmm. you know, when they have eternal life, it it sets it on a different level. Um, I mean, certainly it's a tradition. It becomes a tradition, like, you know, you would celebrate Thanksgiving dinner and um, you get together with your family and friends and talk about what you're thankful for. But you would hope that that attitude of Thanksgiving would be with the child every day. And I think similarly, when you celebrate a baptismal birthday and maybe you light your baptismal candle and perhaps even get, you know, get out your your baptismal gown or talk through pictures and maybe you invite your sponsors over and um, and you make it a, a big deal with family and friends, and then you you have that opportunity to each year talk about how important baptism is, and then you hope that that attitude, that thankful attitude, spills out into every day of how special your faith is to you every day. But it, boy, it, it's sure something special when you actually have a well. It's fun too, just to have a birthday a baptismal birthday. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, what are some, uh, what are some ways that, that you've gone about celebrating baptismal birthdays, uh, ideas that uh, perhaps you've used through the years? Well, we, you know, we certainly do within our, my own family, the simple traditions with lighting the, the baptismal candle and, and, and recognizing it that way. And, talking through the catechism. Um, and then in, as a teacher, of course, we we had chapel, uh, remember, baptismal remembrance in chapel, and we'd call the kids up and um, mention their birthday, and they'd get a little sticker or a marker or, uh, you know, some kind of little trinket. But uh, I actually just wrote a blog for CPH about uh, how you can do something a little bit even more special and go beyond the stickers and the pencils that are giveaways and, and actually have a, a party and, and do some fun games and make it a little bit more interactive. And, and I think as children experience games and have those object lessons, that, that might make it a little bit more memorable. So some, uh, some activities, some games to help teach and remind us of what this right. gift is in baptism. Right. We, and just some of those, some of those examples, uh, you know, I talked about, well, we, you could even do a pinata and instead of having the fancy little cray paper around the pinata, you could put your sins, write sins on, on little strips of paper and, and glue them onto your pinata. And then the children will have fun actually having a birthday bash and bashing those sins as they hit the pinata and, and, um, and knock away those, those sins as a, a concrete reminder of, of how Jesus has conquered sin, death and the devil for us. And, um, 
taken away our sins in baptism, and uh, the Holy Spirit works faith in us and creates in us new spiritual life and, and the power to overcome sin. But it's, you know, those important visuals, it, it may seem a little cheesy, but it really uh, kind of hits the point home, literally. <laughs> the children can actually see what's going on in baptism when you use those object lessons. What about uh, as the the as kids get older, you know, mm-hmm. when they get into those youth and teen years, um, how do we uh, do? Do you have ideas of how to help them celebrate or remember their mm-hmm. baptismal birthday? Well, I think you know, even in some of those ideas with the object lessons, if you're doing it in a community, uh, a Lutheran school community, or even in your own family, if you have children of multiple ages, um, it's nice to do things in a community and remember the whole body of Christ. And I think as the children get older, then you can just change the games a little bit, the rules of the game, make it a little bit more challenging and, you know, up the ante a bit. You can turn those preschool <laughs> pinata games into an American Ninja Warrior competition. <laughs> you know, you. And then you've captured their interest. You know, you attach the pinata pole to their foot or, you know, have them use their hands behind their back. So everyone in the family can participate. Uh, But as they get older, you just change the rules a little bit, make it a little bit more fun. (laughs) But but I do think that as the children get older, they can... um, be a little bit more introspective and do a little bit more with journaling and uh, and talking through what their baptism really means to them on a day-to-day basis. Um, in fact, my brought a little tear to my eye the other day. My 14-year-old son, uh, his best friend's grandpa is in the hospital, and he asked, Mom, can... If his grandpa dies, can I get out of school to go to his funeral with, and be with his friend and support his friend? And I and I thought that was really touching that, you know, even with the older ones, they, they really do get it. They, they understand that um, cycle of life and death and, and eternal life. And it gives opportunity to talk through those things with your older children on a much more deeper level. Well, I'm glad you mentioned talking with your children. How can, um, how how do you, as a parent, um, carry on those? Or I should say, how do you start those conversations about baptism? Obviously, with the Word of God. Okay. Are there books and things right. like that that you use? Uh, books or other resources you've used to help uh, start those conversations about baptism to to help them remember. Obviously, you mentioned the the visual earlier of the the baptismal candle. That's a great uh, right. visual. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we uh, I guess we always just really reach to the catechism as our mm-hmm. <laughs> our main uh, method of instruction, and then boy, just so often how how baptism comes up in in scriptures and as you teach your Bible stories to the children, um, how Jesus has commanded baptism, and and in the early church, all the examples of how the Holy Spirit is at work, uh, changing lives, and uh, so I think it comes up a lot 
in those ways as you're just teaching the faith and you you just use some of that baptismal language and talking about life and death and and renewal and um, that that would be a regular part of your your conversations and your language with the children you mentioned earlier at uh, remembering baptisms at school uh, you know, in school chapel and place in places like that. What are some in addition to chapel? Were there other times that that you talked about it or remember those in school as an educator? Well, we we always again. I think it's your daily uh, walk as a child of God, and and just how that changes everything. That's your whole identity uh, as a mm-hmm. child of God. As you trust in Him to uh, protect guide you throughout each day and and bring you to eternal life. Uh, So I think really just those daily rhythms starting your day in in worship and prayer throughout the day. um, Sure, sure. That, you know, certainly you remember it in your own classroom and at chapel. What was the response of the the little ones when uh, when their name was called or when they were identified in chapel as having, uh, you know, re- their baptismal birthday that day or that week? Well, oh, they love to be recognized, and <laughs> uh, of course, <laughs> children children love to get to come up front, and but it it really makes them feel special as they should, and and again, it really hits home that idea that they are special and love that Jesus would you know, give his own life for you, that you are loved that much, that that God would send his only son, and, and he's preparing a place for you so you can be with him forever. He loves you that much, and he's caring for you every day. Uh, I, I don't think we can emphasize that enough, how special each each child is and how how God cares for us even more than we can ever imagine. You know, sometimes we think, uh, and we, we had a chance to talk with Joe Willman about this not too long ago as, as well, teaching children, uh, especially young children, the, the catechism. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think that young children can't learn these things, that uh, they're too young, we'll wait till they're older to teach them these things. What's been your experience in teaching young children about baptism and then remembering their baptism? Well, they, you know, of course, always trying to be age appropriate but Mm -hmm. boy they you know if if you start talking about different conversations with this they'll ask if they if they're ready for more they'll ask more probing questions and and if they're not ready for it you know boy you sure can tell that too and and it's i think my my big takeaway as an educator and as a parent is always to use those teachable moments throughout the day in your discussions, um, being able to I- infuse that baptismal language and teaching the faith throughout the day. Um, and it, and over time, of course, they really start to understand those concepts and it becomes a, a part of who we are as a Christian. And, and they really do, uh, you know, pick up on more than what you think, and, and you'll notice that like I said, you know, if one of their friends is going through a hard time, that those children are able to share the promises of God with them and and comfort them. And, and you didn't even realize they they knew a certain scripture passage or uh, 
you know, but boy, the Holy Spirit is at work in them. They're ready to, you know, make a card for someone who, who's sick or if if their relative has died, they, they are ready to share the good news with other people. So they, they really do get it. Mm-hmm. Even at, you know, a very young age, children can make pictures for someone and and they they understand that Jesus is their Savior and, and they understand that Jesus has made a way to go to heaven and he delivers us that grace through baptism. And they, in response to that good gift, uh, mm-hmm. children are probably best at responding uh, to that gospel, being motivated by that gospel, uh, even more so than than we adults, I'm sure, can be at I, times. I think so. <laughs> you know, when they hear that that good news, they hear that grace. They are uh, motivated to share that with someone else, whether it be, like you said, through a picture, through a mm-hmm. hug, or or mm-hmm. some other uh, loving gesture. Uh, and. It- it is that childhood exuberance, I think, like you said, emphasizing that word that baptism is a gift. And, you know, as we talk about baptism birthdays, children understand that concept of a gift. And they don't they don't try to, you know, be too intellectual about it or try to understand every aspect of it. They just know someone's given them a gift and what a joyful response they have to that. And... So they can understand how baptism is a gift that God gives us. You know, we we didn't do anything to deserve it. He comes to us, um, no strings attached. Children can understand that and and have that joyful response. As a as an educator or or as a parent, do you remember remember talking about your own baptismal birthday and sharing that with children and how they might have responded? I know that's an on-the-spot question. Sorry. <laughs> well, my my baptismal birthday is in the summer, so we. <laughs> oh, so it didn't work in the classroom then. Didn't do it too much in the classroom, um, but I, I think that is a great point. You know, when we talk about children of God, so the children understand we're all children of God, not in, adults included. Uh, so I, I think that's that's just so important when. To remember, you know, God has called us to make disciples of all nations, and and all people are included in is in His command. He He blessed, you know, all the children, the infants too, and just that inclusiveness of our um, body of Christ. I, I think that's pretty neat, and and I think one thing that's always special is making sure that the. And, have that regular attendance at divine worship to see that it's certainly our faith is something individual and personal, but yet that corporate nature of our faith is is very special, that there are so many other Christians around the world um, who believe the same thing we do, and, and we'll all be together in, in God's kingdom someday. And those are pretty lofty ideas for children to understand, but just for them to to begin to see that big picture of, of how large this is, is pretty special. It sounds to me like this is also a key part in developing their identity, uh, their, their, helping them understand their identity, who they are in Christ. It's something that we, we remember daily and, and certainly right. uh, on an annual occasion as well. 
Absolutely. And, and that's certainly one thing as a parent and a teacher that we try to emphasize so much. Your, your value is not um, on what the other children think of you or how well you did on a, on a test today or if your team won or lost at sports last night. You have value because you are a child of God created and loved by him. Um, we called it Christ esteem, you mm-hmm. know, not your self-esteem that, that can vary, but you have some something that's constant and, and, and nothing will separate you from the love of, of Christ. And I, I think that is such an important thing to remember every day, like you said, their Christ esteem. It makes a difference for every day. Your confidence and your hope is not something that's fleeting, um, that, that changes depending on circumstances. As we wrap up our conversation today, Brenda, anything else that uh, you'd like to share with us? Any other uh, resources or ideas that might help us celebrate or remember our baptismal birthday, help children remember their baptismal birthday? Well, my... I guess that just me as an educator, I always say to, you know, have, have fun with it. And, and, and it, some things might be, some ideas might seem silly to you, but, but you know, any, any games that, that make you think of, of new life or water games with the children, how your sins are washed away and that old Adam is drowned, you know, have, have fun with it. When, when, children are using their senses and, and participating with their whole bodies, they'll, they'll remember those baptismal celebrations. Um, and the examples are all around, you know, anytime, you know, something um, like the, of course, the caterpillar and the butterfly, anything that reminds us of that death to life, or as you're recycling, doing a recycling project and you create new art out of something that is, recycled and would have been thrown away, all those experiences are tangible reminders of how God has made us new and given us new life in our baptisms. So use, I guess that would be my one takeaway, try to use those concrete examples to remind us of what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives to give us new life. Brenda Trunkhill, editor for Concordia Publishing House. Thanks so much for being my guest today, Brenda. It was a pleasure to talk with you again. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate the opportunity. What a great topic. God's blessing. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.